Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, the Super Bowl is set to deliver a full slate of trailers, and Kingsley Ben-Adir joins the show to discuss Bob Marley, One Love. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hello, Blunders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 297 of Real Blend, the podcast that promises to stop writing these jokes after episode 300. <laughs> it's just getting to be too much. I don't know why I set myself up for this uh, at the beginning of the of the run of the show. Um, so when did we start? We're gonna, we're gonna, when did we start doing this, this intro, you think? I don't. The time is right a flat in, circle. Right in. Long-time listeners down below, if you remember when <laughs> that, that first became a bit, let us know. Let us know. Well, guess what? It's ending because I'm tired of trying to come up with something clever <laughs> also every write single in, time. Also write in, write in comments below. Let us know if you think Sean should quit or if you love them too much and uh, uh, motivate him to keep... No. Don't quit. You vote don't quit? Yeah. You need to go on a, you need to go on a creative retreat, Sean. Just get away. Clear the mind. Come up with new, three hundred new, <laughs> borderline, borderline jokes. Opening puns. Yeah. There are no puns that rhyme with Madam Web. Hey, Sean. Or Bob Marley. Did you yeah, know? Kev. Did you hear about um, the uh, the Super Bowl's favorite punk rock band? Ah, <laughs> uh, God. Uh, no, I, I didn't, Kev. Have. Yeah. Super bowling for soup. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's All a little right. inside, but it's funny. Pretty good. Bowling for pretty soup. Good. I oh, like thank it. you. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Sean O'Connell. I'm the managing editor at <laughs> Cinema Blend and a co-host of the Real Blend podcast on this week's show. The Super Bowl is coming and is set to deliver a full slate of trailers. Um, and Kingsley Ben-Adir, star of the new film Bob Marley, One Love, is going to be our guest uh, joining us to discuss taking on the role of the legendary musician, Bob Marley. Uh, I'll start by introducing the boys. I'm going to start with Kevin McCarthy, who bailed me out with a pun of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hi, Kev. How are you? Dude, I'll, I'll pinch hit for you uh, during the week if you want sometimes for a joke. Just hit me up, man. All right. I will. You're going to become you. my, my joke writer, essentially, well, maybe, at this point. Maybe we could like do a bit where like you open the show with a joke each week and then people have to write in who wrote it, you or maybe. me. Oh, Okay, I like that. Or maybe we should hire <laughs> right. a ghostwriter, Sean, for this one little, <laughs> this one yeah. little joke. It's yeah. harder than like you the think. Oscars. <laughs> uh, that is Gabe Kovach sitting in the third chair because Jake Hamilton is uh, on vacation, enjoying himself. He's taking a creative retreat. Good for him. Yeah, it's much mm -hmm. warmer where he is, which I'm very jealous. It's not bad here, it but it's much warmer where he is. Uh, Jake did work extra hard. We made him work extra hard by holding down the Ed Zwick interview uh, which you guys can go watch now on our that's youtube how, channel Ed that's Zwick how pto works on this podcast if you apply for pto it's like we well, have to do an interview by yourself and you're allowed to take vacation <laughs> yeah exactly uh go listen to that conversation but then also get edswick's book um it's really terrific he's his filmography it, it's I kind of find him a little bit underrated in terms of like the, the amount of discussion that's had about him as a filmmaker and his movies. But then when you look over the slate of films that he's worked on and it has also served as a producer on, like it's an incredible career that that most people would, you know, trade a limb to have. So I'd put him in the same boat as like in terms of underrated filmmakers like Rob Reiner and Chris Columbus. Like the, okay. these, are, yeah. these are filmmakers who have made like incredible classic movies and have multiple multiple great films on their resume that aren't talked about a lot when it comes to like the greatest directors of our time and i'm not you know yeah. chris chris columbus's filmography is everything from you know home alone one two harry potter one and two mrs doubtfire um mm -hmm. you know and rob reiner i was mentioned on the show before when harry met sally misery a few good men spinal tap i mean like and then with ed zwick similar situation where like making classic films and just kind of not being considered in those great director conversations when Rob Reiner and those were, those guys were pumping out hits, just hit after hit after hit in terms of like I great think quality mangled, filmmaking. Mangled was in that conversation 
until he started getting the Logans and the Indiana Joneses of the world. But like prior to that, 310 to Yuma and Ferrari, Copland. Yeah, I mean, dude was was and is (laughs) was and is still a fantastic filmmaker. So, yeah. Uh, head over to the YouTube channel to to listen to Jake's conversation with Ed Zwick. So uh, in the meantime, while plugging the YouTube channel, uh, hello. Thank you. If you're watching us on a on a Friday or any day that you choose to watch us on the channel, uh, hit subscribe, turn on notifications. You'll be the first ones to hear when a new episode of Real Blend drops. Sometimes it's not on Fridays. Sometimes it's on Wednesdays when uh, a, a new episode with a standalone interview will drop. We have a few of those coming up. Uh, in the next few weeks, because we have a lot of content that we're bringing to you guys. Go to youtube.com backslash Real Blend Podcast. Of course, if you just want to listen to us in audio format, we're available all different places that your podcast needs are met. And if you'd like to sign up for Real Blend Premium, we have a premium service that gives you an ad-free version of the show uh, and a newsletter that you're going to be getting from me this week. I'm going to have a newsletter coming to you guys. Um, don't quite know what it's all about yet. Cre- clearly, I'm in a creative drought. I can't come up with a joke. I don't know what my <laughs> newsletter topic is going to be. Uh, and so we might as well just throw it to our interview for this week. Um, as mentioned at the top of the show, Kingsley Benadir is going to be our guest. Uh, he plays Bob Marley in the new film, Bob Marley, One Love. Uh, you guys might know him recently from the Secret Invasion uh, Marvel television series. Um, and I, we're going to talk more about Bob Marley as we get closer to the release of it. But I found him to be magnetic in the film. Um, I thought he was a terrific choice to play Bob Marley, chosen by Ziggy Marley, actually. Uh, and he talks a little bit about that in the interview. But this is just a really great conversation about um, this film in particular, his career path up to this point, things that he's learning in terms of um, of how to be a movie star in, in today's industry uh, and the respect that he has and, and love that he continues to have for Bob Marley. Uh, even after the facts, I think you guys are going to really get something out of this one. Kev, you want to add something? Yeah. Quick? Also, just his filmography already is great. I mean, now, One Night in Miami, he played Malcolm X in Regina King's film. Uh, obviously, he was in Barbie recently as well. And I think mm-hmm. um, his decisions have been very interesting and I think very um, profound. I mean, the Malcolm X character that he played, obviously, you know, to play that character after someone like Denzel Washington plays him. That's a really hard Thing to kind of like be able to uh, to do on your own after somebody has also done it so famously. But he did a great job as Malcolm X in Regina King's movie. And uh, I mm-hmm. really liked him in Barbie. I think he's a really talented actor. And um, I think he's just getting started. And he was a great conversation. He was really cool to talk to. I'm excited we had him on the show. I am, too. And so without further ado, let's throw it right to Kingsley Benadier, the star of Bob Marley, One Love here on The Real Blend Podcast. There is a line that hit me really hard in this film um, where someone talks about Bob and they say uh, his guitar is his machine gun. Um, And while this might sound pretentious, I'm curious when you were holding the instrument in your hand, if you ever gave any thought to the kind of power um, and potential influence that an instrument like a guitar can have uh, when placed in the right hands. I think just Bob's relationship to music was something that was... uh something I was thinking about from the beginning, you know, that that Bob's an artist and that he wrote so many incredible albums um, was, you know, I'm not a musician. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that was one of the main things I was like, this, this feels really dangerous because I don't, I don't really understand music, you know, outside of listening to music and just enjoying music. I have the experience of enjoying the art of other people and I get to feel music and I get to be, you know, I receive the benefits of, of all of their graft. Mm. Um, so I really went on a journey with Bob's music that was, I was starting from scratch, you know, in many ways. Similarly with the language, you know, I was starting from scratch. I feel like I wanted to learn the guitar, not because I needed to, because, you know, they they can always dub over you, you know, and you can just pretend and learn kind of basic hand movements and they can cut the camera up. You know, you can get away with it. But with Bob, I was like, no, nah, I don't feel like that's right. You know, it feels really appropriate to try and understand what it means to be a musician. Like Bob woke up every day before the sun. Before the sun came up, Bob was up writing. He loved to write music and sing at 4.35 o'clock in the morning. 
And so if I was going to play a footballer and never kick a ball, like, it just didn't make sense to me. Right, sure. And then I really enjoyed the process. So like I really enjoyed, I remember those first three months of like literally trying to just move my fingers. Um, Bob's relationship to music was, uh, was one of the most incredible discoveries in a way when I understood that he really, his music and his message and his spirituality are completely connected. That actually when you, you break down and you understand the lyrics and all of Bob's songs, he's really like God and spirituality permeates all of it, <laughs> literally. In songs you wouldn't think, uh, in songs you wouldn't think, he's talking about God. You know, God is a part of it. And um, so I think music saved him. You know, when I checked Bob as a young kid from the ghetto who grew up, and when he found that guitar, I think at 13 or 14, maybe a bit before, I can't remember. I think he wrote his first song really young when he was six or seven. But when he found the guitar, I'd hear stories about his connection to that guitar and I was always on it and he, he had a, he really tried to master it, you know, he was a, he was a, he really worked on perfecting that guitar. I remember Tyrone Downey told me that he, um, if you compare Bob on the guitar in 1971 to where he got to by 1979, it was an extraordinary mm -hmm. growth, you know, as a rhythm yeah. guitarist. And that, those details I wouldn't have been able to pick up on without the help of musicians. You know, I was surrounded by musicians. Mm -hmm. So everyone, everyone else you see is a descendant of one of the whalers playing their right, father. Right. And they really play. There's Grammy winners and, you know, producers and Aston plays the bass and Hector mm. on the drums is a master. So I, yeah. was, so I was surrounded by Jamaicans. I was, I was really like hugged. And, uh, and educated and lifted as it relates to the music and the culture. Do I think Bob's guitar was his machine gun? Yeah, uh, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily use that metaphor, but I think that music was his life and music was his passion. And he, he uh, you know, I don't want to call him a workaholic because I think it was deeper than that, but he, he really, uh, his commitment to it was something else. It's amazing. amazing. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. He said something. He said something fascinating just now. He said you're not a mus musician, um, but when you enter into this part, you're seeing the world through the eyes of a musician while you're playing this part. And we, you and I talked for the television portion. You were you were 36 when you played this role. He died when he was 36. So there's a lot of interesting coincidences, but in terms of like emotionally connecting to him. So it led me to a question of whether or not like going back before you played this role, what was a Bob Marley song that meant a lot to you before the role? And on the other side of it, now being him, being a musician, and on the other side, is there a song that means more to you on the other side of the production? So before and after. Well, I knew Bob in a way that actually, when I look back, wasn't, you know, in any, I didn't really know him that well at all. I just knew of him from ever since I can remember. But the only honest way I can answer that question was if I check what were the first two songs I tried to learn on the guitar before anyone told me to start learning. And I started on Redemption Song, and I started mm -hmm. on No Woman, No Cry. Mm. So it was the hit, the big hits, you know, the big, big numbers that we all know was what I knew. So I just started with them. And then, you know, as, as, as they started to, like, deepen in me, or, like, as I got more, I guess, fluent, um... It was Concrete Jungle because it was a little bit more complicated. I, I, right, but my favorite songs now are different. You know, there's a lot of tapes of Bob singing in his bedroom um, that were never released. So like Jailbreaker, Jump Them, you know, these are like lost tapes. Um, I was trying to get them into the film desperately. Uh, but it never happened. Uh, I love So Ja Say. So Ja Say was a song that I never knew before the beginning of this film. Um, mm. Uprising, Survival, those albums, all, all of it, all, like all of Bob's music. And it hasn't stopped really, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't intend to, but since we rapped, I went traveling for a bit, you know, and I was like, I'm still listening to Bob every day. <laughs> so <laughs> Exodus is now my favorite album of all time. Um, wow. You know, it was Illmatic, 
Illmatic was one of my oh. favorite albums. The score. Dude. You know, and Exodus is in. I've got maybe five favorite albums. I got a vinyl player recently, and I had some vouchers for a vinyl shop that I got as a gift. And I went and got, you know, those albums on vinyl. Um, what would I get? Illmatic, The Score, Miseducation, uh, two Stevie albums from Donnie. Like, yeah, Exodus is now in that for me. It's an album I play, you know, at least a few times a week. It's incredible. Kingsley, I'm, I'm going to do a quick follow-up because you just mentioned, so Nas is my, one of my favorite artists of all time. I just saw him with Wu-Tang. And these last six albums that he did with Hit Boy, like the Magic series and the King's Disease series, to me have been on that Illmatic level. Oh yeah, I know this is I know this is not like a Bob Marley question, but you brought up Illmatic. I was just curious if you've been listening to his newer stuff, like King's Disease Three, because it's no. it's unbelievable, man. Like like it, I think it's Illmatic level. He's so reflective, like thirty years into the business. If you have a chance, if you haven't heard it, you'll it'll blow your mind. King's that's Disease my 3. that's my next week. That's my next week. Yeah. And when you're away, you know, Spotify can make you lazy because you just go to yes. their, their algorithms and their like shuffle list that they make for you. And you're like, why am I listening to all of this music? And you're like, I haven't even chose it. So, yeah, yeah, it's nice. I've got some some homework to do. There's an element to Bob's music that I never considered until early on during a press conference scene um, where people almost take his art or take his music and they politicize it like on behalf of him almost, whether it's intentional or not, you know, they, they view it through a lens. And I'm curious if working on this ever had you sort of stop and think about your own art and, and your own films. And once they're out there, uh, that they can be interpreted in different ways and maybe even politicized at all. And did that cross your mind? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I've never put myself or no, I, I, I don't, I haven't put as much, thought as I have into Bob about that, you know, because Bob Bob said really clearly, you know, many times, I'm not a politician, you know. Mm -hmm. That's not what I'm that's not what I'm about. Uh, he he sung and wrote songs about things that he saw around him, you know. He Bob identified with the suffering of black people all over the world. You know, and he like all great artists, you know, he's he's singing about what he saw and he was singing about what was important to him. So, like, it's easy for that all to get mixed up, you know, and like he he must have felt an incredible amount of pressure. You've got 100,000 people coming to listen to to listen to you and hear what you have to say. I, I can I really had to try and identify with that, you know, but not in a sense of. I guess, I guess really, yeah, I guess I do in my own way. I, I want to be a part of things that feel responsible and, and it's always, I guess with character, you know, it's always about trying to find a psychological point of view that feels real and it feels mm. truthful and it feels like something that everyone's going to be able to connect with. Um, but that's just about, um, wanting to be wanting to be truthful in, in, in the people that you're creating. Um, but the, imp the impact of, of, of something isn't something I really think about. I'm always just thinking <laughs> about, is this interesting for me? You know, mm -hmm. is this interesting? Like, do I find the story interesting? Is, is, this, um, is this trying to tackle any, anything thematically that feels important, you know? And that's not mm -hmm. necessarily always political or social. That's just emotional, you know? Sure. Yeah. Um, There's a love story in this that I think drives a lot of that narrative through. Lashana, yeah. that scene in Paris that when you have the argument outside uh, by the cars and you know, on the street, that scene is incredible. It really, really is. Very Thanks, true. man. Yeah, yeah. You know, Kingsley, I want to bring this up because I was talking to you for television and you brought this up as well about the hair being his identity um, in a really interesting way because the hair, his dreads and his hair are, are such a character. They're such a part of who he is. And so it got, led me to a question about asking you how something like the hair and the dreads can actually help you find him as you kind of see yourself in that. And also, what would you argue is your identity in the, in the way that he says the hair is his identity? What, what would you say that that is for you? Well, I guess for Bob, there's, there's just a really, uh, there's a really sort of one of his sort of like famous videos on YouTube. Um, 
he grabs a lock and says, he's trying to explain to a white journalist, you know, something yeah. that to him is just makes sense. And he says, this is my identity, you know. And, uh, and I think Rasta and spirituality, you know, that Bob really did find his safety in that, you know. I've said a few times, I don't know if I said it to you the other day, but these guys, like, they didn't have therapy on Wednesdays, you know what I mean? They don't go to a therapist. To, they, they found their sense of safety in, 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 in music, and in God and in football. And I got <laughs> and I got that, you know? It's really like mm-hmm. it was really so simple. I was like, I get that. Um you know, the hair is a whole process. There's a whole department that that's their speciality. So there's a huge amount of trust that you just have to that's what they're doing, you know, and I think they did an incredible job. It's not easy. They took a long time to build those wigs and to make them feel real and, and the whole journey of that was uh yeah, it was something that I didn't have to overly think about. I just had to sit in the chair and trust, you know, that people are going to come and touch you. And the same with the nose and the costume. You go, you can have a little bit of input, but really I've got so much of my own work to do that, <laughs> like, I just, you know. Um, what was the question about my identity? Yeah, like, if, if, if you were to say, this is something, this is my identity, you're, and you're pointing to something about yourself. What what, what would you say that is? Like 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 in in, re- in reference to how he's saying his hair is his identity. I don't know. That's a good. No one's ever asked me that before. I'm gonna think about it though. I I, I I'm not. Bi- I I I don't feel like I'm big on summarizing people. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like some people have asked yeah. me to like say sum up Bob in a thing. I'm like I can't do that. You know. Like I can't. Yeah. I can't. I can't sum him up in a line. What's wonderful about Bob was that he he went on this journey, you know, to get to that message of peace and love and unity. Like there was a whole journey there of struggle and suffering and experience and turmoil. And um, he didn't wake up one morning and just come out of it. And mm. so trying to connect with him, I was trying to understand what Bob's journey in terms of self-love and inner peace was. Mm. Um, and, in, and in, a, in a way, I had to really do that with myself as well to meet him. To meet a great man like that, you've got to check yourself, you know, before you can play him. So there were just many conversations that I had with myself and with the family and with Bob's friends just about the internal feeling of safety, you know. And where we're all at, at with that, I think, is kind of, is to do with peace and love internal peace and uh i feel like thematically it made it universal as well for me emotionally because i feel like we're all on our own journeys of trying to find connection and and love and to feel safe we all deep as children we all want to feel safe yeah and uh and when we don't what happens you know some people have more privilege in the sense that they have more safety than others and so I had to really look at Bob in terms of his journey in that and um, who he was when he was four, five, six and what his experience was. Um, and so I, uh, yeah, I'm going to be thinking about identity for the next week. <laughs> All right. There's, there's an element that I want to discuss because f- for Bob, he was almost given a second chance. There's a there's a harrowing moment in the film where he stares down a gunman. Um, and I want to talk to you about how you played that moment, um, because what stunned me about it was that you playing Bob, he doesn't flinch. He doesn't you know, it, he he s- feels like he's come to terms with where he is in that moment. And can you just talk about that scene and, and, and where you put yourself uh, mentally in that headspace? I was trying to find out, we've, we've seen sometimes, this, you know, where have I just come from? Where mm-hmm. am I going? And then where am I going after? So I'm coming from the studio and then I got into the kitchen and then I was, I had this really strong sense of wanting to know what Bob was doing. Mm. in the kitchen and I didn't know and Ziggy didn't know and no Mm. one knew so Mm. we tried a few versions of like small talk and we tried a few versions of me and Anthony Welsh sitting down and having a conversation about music 
tried a version of me washing up and it all just felt crap. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't move on because I was like, this is such a significant moment in the history of this, of this man. And, 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 Bob yeah. sp- and Bob speaks to this moment in a really famous interview. And he talks mm-hmm. about having a vision, you know, and, and um, Neville Garrick, after an hour and a half of trying to figure out what it was, ran in and he remembered. And he says he was juggling grapefruits. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> wow. And he said, yeah. And he said, and Bob was competitive. So trust me, when Bob was juggling grapefruits, you know, he was trying <laughs> to show you how good he was at it. Okay. So we just did that. And then the moment's fast. I, I mean, I, I've never been, I've never had anyone hold a gun to my head, but I've been in some situations where there's a real threat of violence in front of you, you know, and I guess I felt with the moment that um, I didn't really think about it. It was just a matter mm-hmm. of just reacting to how it felt. And, you know, we had to be in a position because the bullet had to come at a certain point and it was on a certain turn, so... It's kind of quite technical, and and I had to trust in Ziggy and Neville and Ray to make sure it it felt right within the context of the film. Um, But yeah, he was juggling. It's a a magnificent scene. Magnificent. Kingsley, speaking of the technical aspects, I want to highlight Polly Bennett, because I think she's amazing. And she did work with Austin Butler on Elvis, and then I think she did the work with Bohemian Rhapsody with Rami Malek. But there's something about movement that is so fascinating, and it, it teaches you and informs you about who that person is. But can you walk through the process of like when you first meet with Polly, kind of how that works and within the work with her because i remember seeing video of her um doing the live aid thing with rami malik where she would stand in front of him and mim- he would mimic the dance moves and i was just curious what your experience with her because I-, I find her to be one of the most talented and brilliant people working in this business and i don't know that a lot of people know what she does and the work that she does so can you talk about kind of how she helped you find bob through movement yeah we spent a lot polly and i spent a long time watching Bob and talking about him in terms of psychology, I think that's what separates her, you know. She's, she's coming in from the beginning, talking about the character from a psychological point of view. Before we did any movement, before we got up on our feet, before we did anything that was physical, we would watch and we would talk. We would watch and we would talk. And then eventually I had to do a lot of dancing as myself really it was about exploring movement my own movement and understanding the psychology of how I move which Mm. Polly's where's Polly's brilliant is if Polly's in a room she's watching people for their movement so Mm. she'll pick up on things that people do that you and I like we would never see necessarily Mm -hmm. Um, and I trusted her deeply because I've seen her work and I'm like wow this is next level Um, we worked out how gangly and bouncy I am. So I'm quite like, like long. I'm quite, I'm quite long and, you know, there's a, a wobbliness to me when I move. And it was so, it was, I, need, we needed to, I needed to understand that in order to work out what I had to stop, what I had to stop. And then it was kind of trying to, as we built in restrictions for me, we would then kind of start trying to meet like how Bob moves specifically, having done three or four months of psychological research into Bob's movement. So she's mm-hmm. brilliant. She's brilliant because Polly's brilliant because she's 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 talking in psychology first, and that's an actor's language. So um, I also feel like there's something about Bob where he never does the same thing twice. He's so spontaneous. Yeah. He's almost in a trance sometimes. It's like a seance that we, we almost had, we, we had to com- sort of understand that we were never going to be able to copy him. So all of the work we did on the psychology and trying to drop into his spirit was um, just trying to find moments, flashes even, that felt like him, you know. I don't ever think we got a full dance where we felt like we were, it was never it was never supposed to be that the movie was never supposed to be an, an impersonation or like a mimic of him like that. It's really looking at these two years in Bob's life and the struggles that he went through on a personal level and what he went through to create that album. Um, so it was just trying to find his spirit in like flash flashes, you know. 
And then the edit comes in and sorts all of that out. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're being told we're out of time. Uh, That's Kingston, 25 minutes. Yeah, I know. I wow. know. Thank. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. We hope we hit you with a few questions you haven't heard yet. We know you've been doing a lot of press. No, that so. was great. That was great. I had to think as well. I was like, wow, these are some real proper, proper questions. And seriously, get King's Disease three by Nas. I will. I, I, get, I think you're gonna think it's as as good as Illmatic. Oh my like, god! And that's a, that's a it's a bold statement. That's pretty it's bold. One of the best hip hop albums I've ever. No features, just him rapping. Thirty years reflection. It's brilliant. Amazing masterpiece. I'm getting it yeah. tonight. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo Fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We want to thank our good friends at Paramount for setting us up with Kingsley Bandadier and, of course, for Kingsley for coming on the show. We're going to have more about Bob Marley, One Love uh, coming up, including our review uh, of the film and then an interview with the director, Reynaldo Marcus Green. Some of you may know him from uh, King Richard, the Will Smith movie that he directed. He Which directed he, would, Bob he joined One us Love. for. He joined us for that. King he Richard. did join us for that yeah. one as well, too. And uh, it's going to be a guest on uh, next week's uh, real blends. Make sure you guys look out for that. Um, in the meantime, let's transition over to a topic, um, a little bit of a follow up. We had Matthew Vaughn on the show talking uh, Argyle and Argyle was uh, those three of us got to go over to London for that junket. It felt like one of the first big movies of the year. The calendar year is is cyclical, you know, in the movie industry. It's driven by seasons essentially and as we get into the super bowl conversation in a little bit we'll start to talk about the teasing out of the summer box office season and then kevin i don't know how you felt about this but it feels like you know for a little while that winter time january february became a place that that blockbusters could and would go to deadpool kind of started that black panther continued it and and studios started treating it like a serious place to release films Argyle feels like one of the last, you know, remnants of that of that test. You know, can we release a big movie in the wintertime? Are people going to come? And I wanted to have this conversation because Argyle didn't do extremely well. Uh, It opened domestically with 18.5. Its international numbers are 16.8. So worldwide, it's at 35.3. Not not a disaster by any stretch. And then Gabe is always... uh, Clever to point out the fact that, you know, Apple uh, earns that essentially in a day in a day. (laughs) So, you know, is this a loss for Apple in general? No, it's not. But I want to talk about what this means for the overall perspective of are people coming to theaters right now? What's getting them out to theaters? Because I feel like and and Kev, tell me if you think I'm wrong. It feels like everyone in the industry is just treading water until Dune comes and Dune is a March 1st movie, and that seems like a long time for the industry to tread water. Do you think, does it feel that way to, as well to you? Is this becoming a dangerous time to release a blockbuster like Argyle? Well, there's a couple, there's three things I want to hit on. One, um, the idea that Argyle bombed, I, I don't know that that's, I mean, bomb, I'm going to go ahead and say it bombed. That was a $200 million budget. I mean, <laughs> it's a yeah, very, okay. uh, uh, allegedly, I think it's $200 million. I don't know the, if that's exact, but that's been what's been reported. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. and that, that, that box office is, is, is not great at all. I mean, it's just going to keep going down. Um, yeah. I believe no matter what studio you are. Right. Yeah. I think also, well, I mean, again, there's a couple things at play here. One, that movie should not cost $200 million. It just should not cost $200 million. I mean, it, it, I understand the visual effects of it. I understand how much you have to pay for the actors. I, I totally get it because if you're, if you're, if you're making a movie independently, specifically with Apple in mind, I don't know how box office factors into those conversations. Like when yeah. Ryan Reynolds does a movie for Netflix, like Six Underground, there's no box office there. So they're probably paying him 20, 30 million or something up front. Um, up front. I, in this situation, even with like Joaquin Phoenix and Napoleon, I bet you he had a similar deal where the box office became an added, added aspect to it. But he was probably paid up front from Apple including in the budget. This is just mm-hmm. my perspective. I'm not sure 100%. But with Argyle, like that's why these movies, like Killers of the Flower Moon is a $200 million film because 
I'm assuming DiCaprio gets like 30 million up front for something like that. He has to something huge says like he probably gets the chunk, right. too, I'm sure. And so I don't know a lot of these massive budgets. That's why when you look at something like Oppenheimer for made for 100 million dollars, you think about that cast. Like, did people just take pay cuts? Like, did Downey Jr. not take his Marvel money? And like, you know, you, you start thinking about these things. But going back to Argyle, I'm not surprised it didn't do well. Um, the CGI and the trailers. I mean, when we saw the film, I liked the film. Actually, I was kind of I was, I was more on the positive side than than you were, Sean. Um, mm. uh, but I did. And yet I, I liked it. Yeah, I yeah did. I'm sorry. J- Jake was actually more on the negative side. Um, but in mm. terms of the trailers for that, like had I not seen the film and just based my opinion on going to the movie based on the trailer, the CGI completely just threw me off from it. Um, right. and I think a lot of people felt that way. Like the cat didn't look great in that scene when he flies up, when they hit the 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 thing with, with Sam Rockwell and Bryce Dallas Howard. So, yeah, that that's one reason why I don't think it did well, Two. January used to be a really big dumping ground. I shouldn't say dumping ground. It used to be a big place to put horror films like January. Oh, horror yeah. films would crush, mm-hmm. like crush. They would have like the five million dollar budgets and they'd make like 30 million opening weekend. And you'd have like a really healthy January box like office. Smile because smile like, or something like that. Right. Yeah. And that stuff happened. So I don't remember. Maybe I'm like blanking something big that came out in January. That was a horror film that did That's well. I don't question. remember anything this year i feel like there was one i'll I'll take a look that is a good question i don't remember one and then while you're looking my third point is this imagine if dune had kept its original date what would we be looking forward to now you'd have nothing in the in what's coming up that's going to be huge like dune so had had dune not moved from november last year to march 1st what is the next big movie i would say i think you would have seen something move into that spot like I think, I think Dune definitely like I I would have to look I'd have to take a deeper look and see where there's like a um there's probably some weekend that looks a little overstuffed but I imagine yeah. that Dune would have that spot somewhere around there would have gotten filled with something I don't know that there's anything coming out this year as big as Dune so, too but but coming coming kind of the theaters in a big way I think it probably would have moved up. This is leading me to my ultimate question. Then are we finally? starting to feel the effects of the strike on the box office. And and I say that because not that we didn't feel it at all during the strike, but one of the big things that I think came out of the strike that people might not remember is by the time we got into the strike, a lot of material was done. So by the Mm -hmm. time during the strike and post strike all last year, we had movies coming out. We had the big ones coming out, Color Purple and Wonka. Those were all done and ready to come out. And we were all wondering when it's going to catch up. When are we going to start Mm -hmm. feeling that the industry took a hit in terms of like the productions? And it kind of makes sense, right? Because the strike started in July, right before Oppenheimer came out and Barbie. And then it lasted through what? September or October. So there was four months or so of no production. So Mm -hmm. I think by now in February, this is where I could be wrong. but This is probably where we would have started seeing those productions come out. Um, Mm -hmm. And and so I think we're getting I think we're finally starting to hit that wall. And I think Deadpool moved from May to July. Right. And that or June or July. Um, I think Deadpool was originally like what Memorial Day weekend or something. And then it moved. I think Um, it was the first weekend of May. Marvel usually loves to be that first weekend of May. And so and so. That's kind of where I think we're at. I think there's there's a lot going on here. The Argyle thing. There's a lot going on. Yeah. The Argyle thing, I think, is just lack of interest. The the January at box office, I think, was we needed a big horror film, which we didn't get. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do. Think I did the, look at that. Not a big yeah. horror film. The only one I could right. find was uh, Night Swim. Did you guys see the movie Night Swim? Right. Ooh, and yeah. Universal's picture. It yeah. was from what I could tell, it was a 15 million dollar budget and it tripled its budget. At, I mean, 45 is not like a number that's pretty good. Out, but if you triple your budget in any scale, like, you know. I will, but I think I, I we, were talk, the, we were talking about like the, the smiles, and I think "Talk to Me" was an early was it Megan? Megan as well, right? Megan was Megan in January, was another I think. one like that. Yeah, so it didn't and splash th- like "Night Swim." No, no, yeah. no pun intended. "Night Swim" didn't have a splash. Like hey, well done. Hey, <laughs> but I, the kids but also, back. The kids, the kids back. back. There he is. He just needed he needed, <laughs> needed to get the creativity flowing. No, but in all honesty, it's fascinating because I think I do think that we're in that period now where we're going to start feeling a lack of content. And I, I think we were spoiled because during the strike, we were like, oh, there's tons of stuff coming out sure, regardless. Yeah. I mean, the strike was important and I'm glad it happened. But we had so much built up work that we never felt 
the actual uh, well, and, industry from a box office perspective get hit yet, you know? And beyond, beyond the strike, but, like, Disney, I think, is taking concerted efforts, specifically with Marvel, of, like, and, well, and Star Wars, I think, of we're doing too much, you know, let's do less, according to Bob Iger, at least, if you believe mm-hmm. his quote. So I think there's also that, where there was an oversaturation to begin with, and on top of the practical uh, aspects of, you know, a, of several strikes. So... Yeah. It's a lull, but to me, I mean, we'll we'll get into this in our next segment where we're we're talking about some things that are coming up. There's still a lot on the calendar through the rest Huge. of the year. I did want to ask this as well, too. Um, these are films that you would think would have done. Well, well I guess I, I want to ask this. Um, Killers of the Flower Moon. Any yeah. idea how much money that's made uh, domestically so far? Well, I. Okay, domestically, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess is under a hundred million, but over overall worldwide, I'm gonna guess it's probably like close to 180. 67 million domestically. I was gonna say What's 50. The worldwide? Um, let me see. Napoleon. Can you guess Napoleon? Domestic. 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 The 30. 45. 61. Oh wow. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. 156 worldwide. And Napoleon sixty one domestically and two nineteen. That makes sense worldwide international yeah. story. Here's yeah. the surprise: the boys in the boat, which is a movie here where when I talk to different people, it's it's a a film that general moviegoers want to go see. They want an inspirational sports film. Forty nine million dollars domestically. That's a quiet forty nine million. Like it just feels like that is done well. I'm so glad you, you know, brought this up because my parents, my parents, since the pandemic, I think have been to the movies once or twice. One of those was mm-hmm. to see Nope with me because I forced them to go and they loved it. So they said, yep. um, Is that what you're yeah, they said, yep. <laughs> so I, and I, I believe in the universe speaking to me and, and, and coincidences. And Sean and I talk about this all the time. My mom texted me yesterday afternoon. She said, Kevin, your dad and I are going to see the boys in the boat today. I'm like. It's so random. Like, was it Clooney for them? Was it, about it? was it was it Clooney I or I think my mom read the book or something because okay. but it was but out of every movie that's come out since the pandemic, like 2020 forward, they've seen two films and one of them would they left the house. because My mom's still my mom's still very much afraid of catching covid and mm. and rightfully so. She's just still worried about going out in public and being around people. Um, she's just being coming comfortable with going to restaurants and things like that. But when she texted me yesterday, now, knowing my parents, they probably chose a showtime that nobody was at. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming sure. they, like, they had a whole, they, had, they probably went, they, and they went like weeks into the release. There's probably nobody there. It's, in, you know, it's in a small theater in Williamsburg, Virginia. Regardless, the point I'm making is, to your point, that movie has become a quiet box office success that no one's really there's talking about. Something, yeah. There's something about period set, inspirational yep. underdog sports films that will, yeah. o- that will always play with a wide enough audience. What's the um, budget on that? I bet you it's under 30 million. Oh, I have I no idea. So, I'm not so sure. If someone gave, if you have a chance to look that up, it's I'm very probably, curious. I, I would put it you know, at the 15 to 20 you million. You know, they should have marketed, uh, they should have marketed the football throw in the holdovers more then. Cause it has all of that. <laughs> 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 uh, now the holdovers, that that's a weird one because that one hit Peacock super early. I remember, right? It did. Didn't it go to Peacock? Yeah. And like, I don't know what's the box office on holdovers. I bet you it's less 35 than 20. 35. Oh, worldwide. wow. 35 worldwide. Yeah. 20, good. 19.7 domestic. Hmm. I mean, and that's Swat. not, you know, Sideways probably made over a hundred million. I'm assuming that movie probably that was, a oh, cultural, yeah. that was a big cultural movie. That was a big sorry. One. You asked me the budget for uh, the boys, boys in the boat. boat. Boys 40, in the boat. 40 million is what I'm seeing. Okay. So I wonder that's pretty high. I guess that's, all the water sequences. High. Yeah. But I mean, that Amazon makes sense. Is, is for, again, does that include something up front for Clooney kind of thing? Oh, you you're know? right. Like I bet you that's an upfront thing. As a director, like how much does he demand? You know, at least he probably got 10. He eight or 10. 10. Yeah. Yeah. 10. Yeah. But I guess teen maybe, but does Clooney know. as a director draw a lot of espresso? No, I bet you most people who went to go see that didn't even know that George Clooney directed it. I think so but, too, but they put his name on all the marketing. So it's like, yeah, true. 
Like, what do you... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'd be curious. I'd be curious what that negotiation looks like. Of Do we get Clooney's name or do we get his face? And, like, yeah. what that yeah. number, how different that number looks on the chip. But Sean's uh, so right. You bring That's a really good point you bring up because that, that one in particular has been kind of sneaky. Like, it, it was so weird that my mom and dad went to that randomly yesterday. It was so strange. Well, it was over the holidays because over the holidays when you get together with groups of people because of what we do, people ask us, like, oh, what's playing? What should right. I go see? Blah, 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 blah. And... I heard from more people like, oh, I want to go see the boys in the boat. Yeah. You know, I heard it enough times from random people that I was like, oh, this is resonating yeah. with folks. The, the marketing is hitting home somehow that people know what this is. And and maybe it is the book. The book could could be really, really popular for all I know. But um, before, we, before we go to break, kudos more, to Amazon. More people have come up to me in my office and asked me about the boys in the boat or the holdovers over Dune mm. 2. How do you explain well, that? Yeah. Well, Dune is Dune Two is just now spinning up its marketing. True, but it's it, it it's so weird. Like, like again, it like goes we back are to that very film. much aware of Dune Two, but I think once right. it got moved, it, as far as everyone else, it kind of got wiped out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, and I think that's why they're starting this. They did the the junket a month ahead of time. Was yeah, my parents will go see Dune Two in theaters though. That's the thing. But your like, parents, that's, I mean, that's one right. tiny portion of what. Who oh, I know. Seen. But to Sean's point, my parents are in that boys in the boat group of Dune like is going to make a lot of money, though. I mean, that's not what we're saying. Like Dune is going to make a lot of money. Dune Do you one think Dune? Was, oh yeah, Dune one was Do th- huge. It, Dune one made over four hundred million within. I don't think people remember that that opened on Max at the same I, time. I, I think it was that, exactly, and I think because of that, and because so huge. many people, like I think that was because it hit the cultural sort of um, overflow. Yeah. Since that movie came out, it's only grown its audience with people who are like, okay, I guess I'll finally see it. Oh, they're making a second one. I guess I'll finally see it. I think that's going to be the perfect kind of sequel example of it's going to it's going to leap the first one because that audience has only gotten bigger since the first one. And also don't discount. I said this in the show before, and I I think people were like, Kevin, you're crazy. I remember people like, like, how can you talk about like people's fashion and how that would affect the box office? When you have Zendaya and Chalamet and Butler and Florence Pugh going out and doing premieres in Mexico and London yep. or wherever they're going to be, those pictures and those videos go so viral. I still believe the first Dune, I'm not saying it did well because of that, but it, it helped it. All of that promo, all of that. That's kind of why we figured that they probably moved it to March because the actors couldn't promote it back in when it, when it was originally going to come out. I'm telling you, like, Warner Brothers is genius. We already did the junket. Sean, Jake, and I, our stuff's already out. That's the first more to phase. come. More to come. On then, yeah. Then you go to then you go to Mexico, which where, where they're at right now as we're speaking. You get all that promo. Then you get the London stuff. Then you get all over the world. And for the next month, it's just going to be Dune all over everybody's social media. Does that movie make a billion dollars? Uh, maybe. I mean, to your point, like the um. The max release, the simultaneous max release and kind of where the world was in making half a billion dollars is pretty impressive. Yeah. Billion dollars is hard. I don't know. But yeah. but I think it's possible, especially with that long, like three week IMAX I don't run. Think, and, I honestly. You don't think, I don't so? think it comes close. I think maybe 750. I think it's 750. I think it's still right. it's it's hard science fiction. Yeah, and it is. As much as the Chalamet and Zendaya ones. Um, Oppenheimer is still a period piece about a about a about a major war and a major event. True. One of the biggest events in human history, like parents and grandparents that went to go see Oppenheimer are not going to be going Going to to see. Yeah. If Paul Atreides is the Messiah that he (laughs) purports to be. (laughs) (laughs) Not that audience. (laughs) Take a little break. All right. Let's take a quick break. Yeah. And on the other side, we're going to talk sequels, sequels and more sequels. Yes. And we are back. Okay, so Sunday is the Super Bowl, and outside of football, Kevin, a new uh, creation that we have for the show, uh, we generally tune into the Super Bowl to pay attention to the ads that are running. Um, Paramount, Universal, and Disney, we wanted to point out, are spending a record $7 million per 30-second spot. Um, And Gabe made a joke earlier, but I I think there's something to this. Uh, it's the Taylor Swift effect. It's more eyeballs on the Super Bowl because she will be in attendance. Uh, and I think that Gabe, I think you're 100 percent right. I mean, I think this this telecast is going to set. I'll pull in a couple other factors. It's shaping up to be a good game. The Niners yeah. versus the Chiefs is actually a really good matchup. 
And Sean. I don't think there's a clear favorite. Yeah. Are you ready yes. to rock and roll all night and purdy every day? <laughs> As Chris Berman once I said. I love Brock Purdy. I love Brock Purdy. I think he's dude, a terrific I'll, story. I, dude, I'm just very excited about the, the matchup. Like McCaffrey and then on the Chiefs side, Pacheco. Just those two. Yeah. They're just... They, they just plow through people. It's incredible. So, so here's to watch. what will be interesting. As I was teasing you. <laughs> Dude, I know, I know we're not a really, George uh, Kittle fan too, man. I love George Kittle. I love with, it. With, I love with it. respect, with respect to sort of how valuable this is for movie uh, marketing, not to get yes. too in the weeds on like live sports advertising and numbers. Uh, <laughs> it's not quite our entertainment that we cover. Uh, but last year, uh, the Super Bowl was up from 99 million viewers to 115 yeah. This year they're already wow. saying like at least a hundred million, which I feel like yeah. I feel That's like low. it has to crush. The the Super Bowl is already the event where people who don't care about football watch it because of these commercials and because they're at the parties and it's it's just a cultural sure. event in America at least. You also have two big teams. Like if the team like if yeah. it was, like as much as I love the Lions, I wanted Dan Campbell to go, having like, you know, there's something the 49ers story. Mm-hmm. Well, is, and San Francisco it, is a is a major city and it's a team that's right. old enough that has that has Huge. fans all over the country that are going to yeah. be wanting to watch it. It's and I'm curious to see. Yeah. I'm really excited to see what that final number is for viewership. Again, with respect to sort of how much they're paying for these 30 second spots. And I bet you it's 125 million. I bet you it's yeah. going to be over 120 okay. million because because Gabe is right. The Taylor Swift effect one two is imagine real. if she was doing the halftime show. Oh, man. Oh. Well, can't imagine can't, Kansas City is kind of getting Ameri- usher. <laughs> yeah, is Kansas City's America's team? I mean, I know Cowboys people say that, but uh, I mean, like, Kansas, I feel like they're like the, they're the team that everybody the knows. The current uh, dynasty. They're the current yeah. dynasty, which current means that dynasty. which means that half the people hate them. Not quite as much right. as the Patriots, yeah. Right. <laughs> but like, it's that effect. There, I mean. there is be, there is a lot of venom happening towards the Chiefs side now that because because everyone's like, oh, they're back again. I don't want to see them. They won last year. Yeah, it's like, it happens. I don't know. But hey, hey, I love hey, it. I've why, you why are you doubt them. this team, man? Yeah. Sure. Beat oh, yeah. I, I mean, think, honestly, I think Pur- Purdy's going to pull through. I think McCaffrey is going to be MVP. It's going to be a heck That's of a, a game. tall order. I think it's going to be a good game. Listen, anyway, man. back to movies. Yeah. As a damaged Carolina Panthers fan, I can't put any faith in Christian McCaffrey. <laughs> believe me, oh. the injury prone Christian McCaffrey. But anyway, yes, let let me run through really quickly. These are the rumored films that are going to have spots. Uh, I think almost all of these can be confirmed. Uh, soft confirms. Deadpool this is as 3 of Wednesday. Is, sorry for folks that are listening on Friday. So is expected to show footage um, and hopefully a title, I guess, unless it's just going to be Deadpool three uh, inside out Two is expected to show footage kingdom of the planet of the apes john krasinski's if uh john krasinski's former franchise a quiet place day one is going to have footage and the trailer for that dropped already i want to talk about that in a second kung fu panda 4 is expected to have a trailer and then finally the fall guy which universal is ramping up heavily to start promoting that movie is going to go to south by southwest it is also going to open CinemaCon in vegas ahead of its may release so as kevin kind of said before we recorded this this episode that clearly shows they have a lot of faith in that film that's david leach uh, who is directing it with um ryan gosling and margot robbie emily blunt. Um, this is an emily insane blunt. oh emily blunt emily blunt correct um it's this is Barbie an too. insane number of sequels <laughs> i mean it's it's almost discouraging the clear number of sequels. And maybe I'm just not remembering, like, is it always sequels? I know it's always like a Transformers film and usually a Marvel film. And but this just furious. feels like, holy God, it's a lot of sequels. You got to think that given the cost to advertise at the Super Bowl, the sequel yeah. is always the safer thing to spend your money on. Mm. Sure. Um, you know, like even when they did that, that weird uh, uh, tie in that Netflix tie in for, um, Oh, what was the what was the, the Cloverfield? Apocalypse? Was it a Cloverfield yes. movie? Yeah. What was the name of that that movie? Yeah, the, where they were in like the space station, they kind of tied it into the Cloverfield movie. Mm. Like even that yes. was like an original, but it was a sequel. I wonder Does if that's Dune just get a spot. Warner Brothers is not hosting. No, Dune spent money on the AFC and NFC championship games, but they are oh, not wow. spending money on a spot for the Super Bowl. Which, again, speaks to them wanting to get ahead of the curve and get the conversation out there um, yeah. mm. for their March 1st film. Um, before I go around and discuss which ones of these we're most excited for, I want to get into this topic. So it's Wednesday that we're recording this. 
earlier today, the the trailer that's expected to be shown on Sunday for A Quiet Place Day One released early. Um, to me, I, I'm torn on this. It's smart because people get to live with it a bit, you know, and watch it early. And 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 if they drop the Deadpool three trailer today, I would be ecstatic because nope. I would want to no. go through it piece by piece. Really? See, that's no. it, it. It does What's take wrong? away from the thrill of of seeing it first during the game. Right. But in a scenario where and I've had this situation where like we've hosted a Super Bowl party, people are over um, and then the the trailer starts. You were a couple of seconds into it. You know what it is. Mm-hmm. And then everyone in the room is like, what is this? Oh, wait, there's Deadpool movie. Oh, I love Ryan Reynolds. And they're talking over it. And then I'm like, shut up, shut up. I want to <laughs> I want to watch it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know which one I prefer. I'm I'm of both camps. I think that it's the sort of thing where we are. So the the entertainment TV spots are one small part of the Super Bowl event even within sure. the commercials and one, it's a 30 second spot versus a minute and a half trailer. So it's going to be a different edit. There might be different footage. Uh, but I think we also have to appreciate that we're very much in tuned with this part of it. And like looking mm-hmm. right now, we're three hours after it dropped and it has uh 600 and uh, or 600,000 views on it. And that'll cross a million. Probably it'll probably get quite a bit. Say it gets two and a half million by Sunday. We're talking about a hundred plus million people watching that game. That's so many yeah. more people is valuable or, you know, that it, it doesn't really matter sure. that this many people saw it versus everyone's that's, that's going to see it then. So it gets but the that buzz 600, going. The 600,000 is only one platform. You got to think about the, all the social pushes of that trailer. Sure. But but like, I don't sure. think it diminishes. I don't know that it diminishes it on the day for most people. And to my point, I think that you, you're, there's also an option that we see different footage. I for sure uh, to quote to quote Peter Griffin. This really grinds oh. my gears. Um, I, this is one of the things that I that actually I don't get mad a lot. This makes me mad. <laughs> like I, I don't out like early? this. I don't like this at all. I hate it um, because I to me, the Super Bowl is it's not just the game. <laughs> right. it's, it is everything. It's the it's it's the pre-show. It's the commercials. It's a it's an immersive four hour experience that you dedicate that Sunday to once a year. And it's so much fun. Also, to your point, even if you are at a Super Bowl party and a Deadpool trailer comes on, it's still exciting. And like, mm-hmm. you, you could just click on it when when this when the when the commercial's over and watch the full because, you know, at the end of every one of these, they're going to say go online to watch the full version. Right. Um, a so longer it, version. It, sure. Yeah. But I don't I think to me, it's not even just movies. Like the like the Chris Pratt Pringles thing and like all these teasers they're putting out early. It ruins it ruins it for me. I don't want to know what's coming. I don't want to know what what the trailers are going to be. I don't even want to know there's a Deadpool three trailer coming. I don't want to know that information, but I know it's inevitable. Sorry. (laughs) No, no, I I, I already knew. I already knew. But I guess my point. Yeah, yeah. I I just I just also like. They do this thing now where they're telling you where they're going to air them sometimes like, oh, after the third quarter, stay tuned for this. I'm like, I don't want to know where Mm -hmm. anything is placed, where everything is going to be. And like, I I just find it frustrating because like who said this the other day? It was like is like basically like the idea of like opening your Christmas presents early. Like if you go down, if you go down on Christmas Eve after you're and your parents are sleeping and you start opening up your gifts to see what you got. That's what this feels like to me. Like, wait till the day, mm-hmm. enjoy it as it comes, be present in the moment, stop trying to predict what's going to happen and all these things. And I get it. I get, understand the, 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 the age we live in and the way, listen, from a business perspective, you put your trailer out early. It probably is more savvy well, to for, do that from a and business for a quiet place in particular, a quiet place, yeah. a well-established franchise. I think we've enjoyed everything that's come out of that franchise. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a, there's a large audience that's for it. Obviously, they're spending $7 million on a TV spot. Like, this sure. is not to say that it's small by any means. But if there's any one of these from this list that's going to put out their trailer first to try to get ahead of everything mm. else, this is the trailer that's going to get eaten by a Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, yeah. by an Inside Out 2, by a Deadpool 3, by a Fall Guys movie starring the stars from Oppenheimer and Barbie. Like, this feels like the the 
the movie that benefits the most from getting out ahead, getting its own yeah. little window, and then you you hit them again. Not that, again, we're recording on Wednesday. By the time the Super Bowl happens, or by the time you're listening to this on Friday, maybe more of these have come right. out, and that's a different story. But for me, this is the movie that makes the most sense to try to separate itself from these behemoths that are at hmm. the game. Or you could have fun with it. Like, I'm, I, I'm I, and again, I don't know if Ryan Reynolds is going to do this, but, like, Ryan could put out... A, a funny teaser as Deadpool teasing ahead to what we're going to see. But even then that goes against what I was saying about not knowing things are coming. But if we are living in a day and age where we're going to start knowing, like I already know there's going to be a Pringles commercial with Chris Pratt. Well, I those, don't want to know that well, information. Those I agree. That's different. Movie trailers are one thing. I agree that the, the TV spots for the commercials, is, like, that, that, that's a whole other discussion. That well, is weird to me. That and I'll say the trailer ahead of time. if the, the film, if I, I hate this title, if I hate it because it just <laughs> sounds like I have to say like the movie, if or John Krasinski's, if, yeah, because I can't just be like title, you know, if put out something and, and if yeah. did this and it's like, no, it's, I hate it. You know it. what you, you, know so, what you sound like, they, Sean? You sound like a managing Old editor man at a shining exactly. Well, but they did I mean, a they, promo this yeah. week and they did a joke on the Randall Park, yeah. uh, John Krasinski office. mix up from the office. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was a clever way of letting us know that something was coming and, and they right. put it out there. So, OK, yeah. so of of what we know is coming, um, Kev, what are you, are you most excited for Deadpool three? Is that the one? Yeah. I, I just want to see something from Deadpool three. I, I don't know. I, and like, we haven't seen anything outside of like the, the paparazzi shots or the shots that people are getting from these like long, long lenses when they're further away from, I mean, it's been fun to watch, like just seeing Ryan and Hugh Jackman just kind of playing around in their costumes. But I still have mm-hmm. no idea of the tone of the movie. I have no idea what the movie's going to look like. I haven't seen a single frame from it. Um, so in all honesty, I'm just excited to see what it looks like. I'm excited. And I'm, I'm also just very curious because that's the movie that got affected by the by the strike. And, and you know, there were four months in between the shooting. Are we going to be able to tell at all that there's a difference between mm-hmm. when they shot before or after? Uh, I don't think there there will be. But those guys had to keep up their weights and their and their bodies the way they were for continuity purposes, I'm assuming. So mm-hmm. it's one of those weird things. Um, that one in particular, because right now I don't think any of us know. And Matthew Vaughn said something that I said on the show a month or so ago. I think that movie's going to fix the Marvel, not fix. It's going to reset the Marvel world. It's going to, it's going to reignite the excitement in the Marvel product. Cause it's going to, it's the only one this year, right, Sean? I mean, outside in, in terms of the Disney MCU, I know they're going to have TV show. They'll have a few TV shows, but it's the only the, movie that's going to Webb's not MCU, right? No, no. Okay. It's just Sony. Nori's not. Well, cause and, and so, Sony has Madam Web. Sony has Madam Web, Craven and Venom three, but none of those are MCU movies. So the only Sony MCUs are the Spider-Mans? Oh, yes, the Holland correct. Spider-Mans. Okay. Holland, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm just excited to see what this thing looks like. I, mm-hmm. as much as I love Inside Out, I don't know that I needed a sequel. That one I have no interest in personally, even though I love the first mm-hmm. Inside Out. Um, mm-hmm. I don't I don't know why that sequel's coming now. It feels weird, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel weird that that uh, one's coming now? It's funny that you say that because that's the one I'm most interested in. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, and, well, outside of Deadpool 3, I, I'm with you on Deadpool 3, but I almost feel that because the first Inside Out is is one of the most perfect Pixar's, I, I think I think that and Wally are the most perfect Pixar's. But I don't I, want a Wally 2. I, I want don't want to a Wally believe, 2. Right. So I want to believe that because it's coming, they have a, a they have a story. They have a, a good so. story to tell. I know, and, and, but I can't say that the Pixar's track record on sequels has been flawless because it hasn't. Toy mm-hmm. Story Four was a bit of a disappointment, you know. Cars Three, I don't think was was well, Cars Two was but worse. Do, Cars Three w- is. Would you want a Wally? Too? I have faith in. No, I I don't. Right, <laughs> but I'm choosing to be optimistic. I'm choosing to be sure. hopeful that because they're doing it, that it's that it's I going would, to be. Um, I would put worth it. I would put, I agree, Deadpool 3, I, I'm interested to see it. It's one of those things that I don't want to see too much, but yeah. I am dying to know exactly the the angle that it's taking, if, if that's what we're going to get as far as a, a teaser for it. Um, right up there, and maybe a little bit ahead of it, is the Fall Guy, just because mm. of everyone who's involved, but also the, we talked about the sort of the confidence that the studio has, uh, studio seems to have in it. That's one that's kind of an original story, and it looks like it could be really great, looks like it could be really interesting. So I'm more interested in that and that I have no oh, we idea. we have a trailer for that. Yeah, they released, they released a, a 
uh, was it in like the fall that they released? Hey, yeah, okay. Hey, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm interested in seeing more of that <laughs> and more interested in that as a project. I think with all of these uh, involved, but Deadpool three, I mean, that's just as you put it. That's like kind of the ultimate question as a franchise model. Is fan. this the movie about a guy who collects leaves and drinks pumpkin spice lattes? Is that guy. what the Fall Guy is about? <laughs> <laughs> they were going to call him the Autumn Man, but they. <laughs> I would watch that. Sponsored by Starbucks. Didn't roll off the tongue. Yeah. <laughs> Loves a good sweater. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fall guy. It's, All right. It's so Chris, it's Chris, uh, Chris Evans's character from uh, from uh, Knives Out. But like, not prior out. to prior to the murder, <laughs> <laughs> he's like he's a fall guy. The ball guy. Uh, it's your turn. Head to the comments down below and let us know which 2024 release you are hoping gets showcased uh, during the Super Bowl this year. Maybe it's a surprise one. Maybe it's one with that. Uh, we weren't expecting and Warner Brothers ends up dropping a trailer for Furiosa or something like that. Um, that would be pretty exciting. In the meantime, we're going to be back next week with brand new episodes. Uh, we mentioned Ronaldo Marcus Green is going to be joining us to talk Bob Marley One Love. We have a couple of hashtag if they happen uh, coming our way. So you want to make it uh, make sure you are locked here on the Real Blend YouTube channel. We are approaching fast approaching. Maybe even by the time you guys listen to this episode, we'll have 17,000 subscribers on the YouTube channel, which is insane to me. But I guess as we get closer to 300 episodes, the family just continues to grow. We love to see it. So in the meantime. Follow us on social media at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell, at Gabe Kovach. And the show is at Real Blend. Until we meet again, my friends, uh, we'll still say tunes, 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 tunes. <laughs> Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.